Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting alongside Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. If this is the first time you are listening to us, or maybe you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit that subscribe button, thumbs that video up, help spread the word. Um, if you are uh, following us along, be sure to follow my uh, Twitter at Focus Compound. Check out all of our content. We write about stocks at focuscompounding.com. We give out free stocks at Focus Compounding Gazette. Dot com And then uh, we also manage capital as well. Uh, so go to Focus Compounding and click that Vest With Us page to learn a little bit more about what we're doing. So in today's video, we are going to be going over um, how to read the financial statements. I guess the big okay. parts to really, like, I guess, go through now. Yeah, we're doing the 10K. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we uh, did an episode on how to read a cash flow statement, how to read a balance sheet, and those mm-hmm. are incredibly popular videos. So I think a lot of people are just curious in general how to, you know, just navigate the 10K. Right. And, and I think a lot of them, like, for example, when I spoke about this in the balance sheet, they all understand the accounting behind it, but they're more mm-hmm. interested, a lot of individuals, in just how you interpret certain things right. from the accounting. Okay. Um, you know, so I think it'll be good to dedicate a video going over the 10K. So let's do that. So if you open up any 10K, mm-hmm. and this is on SEC.gov, um, we do read, you know, every single page in the right. 10K. And mm-hmm. we obviously... Um, suggest people do that as well. Uh, but the first part's the business part. Yes. Right. And you want to kind of explain how what you typically look for. I mean, obviously, it's just really a summary of the company that you're looking at. Sure. Right. But how you sort of start there. Yeah. So the first thing actually that I read is the cover sheet for 10K for the SEC um, will always have the company, what classes of stock it has, how many shares outstanding, yep. what date this is prepared for, and is also going to give you the uh, state of incorporation mm-hmm. and is also going to give you where their uh, business is. So I just highlight those things there very quick. So you get the exact share count for that time. And uh, you're also going to know if, like, is it incorporated in Delaware, Nevada, places like that, so or a specific state that they probably do business in. The, the two states you're most likely to see that aren't the state that the company's from are Delaware and Nevada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Delaware being the most common. And so I highlight that stuff and then go right to the business section, which is the first part. Um, the important thing there is where they talk about competition. So, one, they're going to describe their business model to you. So basically what they do, and that's going to vary a lot from companies that give very poor descriptions of their business, especially very big companies. They're going to say things like we do, you know, um, I, I haven't looked at Microsoft's recently, but they may say something like we provide all sorts of services that make businesses more productive yeah. using, you know. What does that mean? <laughs> exactly. Instead of necess- – and it will be deeper in that you'll see that they specifically discuss operating systems and uh, servers and uh, – applications, you know, and then things like that. So, uh, but with some companies, it'll be pretty simple. And it'll just say like, you know, with parks or something, we operate drive-through animal safaris, right? Yep, and then yep. you fit, you highlight what that is and you're like, what is a drive-through animal safari? And you kind of figure that out. But the one that's very important is competition. They're all going to discuss to some extent on what basis they compete. And they're also going to describe possibly who they compete with and how many competitors they have. 
Um, some companies will be explicit about that. I've seen companies that tell you exactly who some of their competitors are or describe them enough that you know who they are. So like um, you could be reading a 10K of Procter & Gamble and they'll say Kimberly Clark. They're probably not going to in most cases, but some small companies do. They'll just come right out and say that we compete with and list actual competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some language that's very common here, which they're always going to say um, highly competitive. Uh, I mean, if that's missing, then uh, it's then that's interesting. That's something that you should look for. Because if a company doesn't say that the industry they're in is highly competitive, then that's a hint that there's a real competitive advantage here. Because sure. otherwise, the lawyers will put it in. It should jump out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking to someone about BWX Technologies. And he was saying that after hearing me talk about it, it was interesting to go and look at their description of their business because they kind of can't tell you that it is highly competitive or something because yeah. they, they're they like the only one that the government's buying this from. So they kind of have to be upfront about, you know, we compete on the basis of like technology, um, whatever, you know, scale, things like that. And they explain um, what it is uh, that, that their advantages are, right? So they're going to list the things like, uh, say it's a retailer. They'll say we compete on the basis of price, selection, uh, convenience possibly, or if it's like Nordstrom or something, they'll include customer service. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's a supermarket, they may not include customer service. Often the order in which those words are presented is also a hint as to which one they think is most important and least important. Mm -hmm. If you ever read something where price is not listed, that's very important. Mm -hmm. Companies will almost always try to list price. We compete on the basis of price will be one of the top ones. And if they don't, then that's very, very interesting. Or if they say something like... Because they have like some sort of pricing power or something like that? Right. Because all businesses are going to say that they compete on price except to the extent that they can't sort of justify saying that they compete on price. Um, For one thing, just like in terms of um, covering themselves and stuff, they like to make their business sound worse in many ways in terms of the risk sections and stuff than Mm -hmm. is realistic. And also just in terms of economics and stuff, people go to the default thought that price is what you compete on, mm-hmm. right? And to some extent you do in all sorts of businesses, but anytime that's not one of the first words you read or that's not there at all, or they say we compete secondarily on price or something like that. We compete, because some businesses will say we compete primarily on and give you some yeah, things sure. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also things like immediate availability of uh, the product or um, on-time delivery or something. It's very interesting when you read those things because those are strong hints that it's not all based on price and there's some specific things about the industry that you need to know. Mm -hmm. Because most industries will not say things like on-time delivery. They will say price. The very common ones that you're going to get are price, uh, quality, Right. Yeah. Sure. Uh, selection. Yeah. Okay. Um. And, and those usually don't mean much. There are some companies where it does, where like they say selection, and they mean you know uh, Nebraska Furniture Mart competes on selection. They mean because you can see more examples of furniture there than anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes it does matter, but usually you ignore price, quality, and selection. Right. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um. It's interesting if they mention things about technology being important. It's interesting if they mention things about regulatory things being important. Um. Because if there's if it's regulatory based, then that could be a source of their competitive advantage. Right, right? exactly, and that's one of the things with um, the risk section is that some things in the risk section are actually interesting from the perspective of maybe telling you about a competitive advantage. I think in the risk the risk section, which was the next section we were going to go over, mm-hmm. if you can't figure out like a business after you read the business and then the risk yeah. risk section. You should just put in the two, like, just put it, don't even go, like, into it. Like, you should really yeah. be able to, like, for me, for example, I feel like when I learn about a business and I go through the risk, risk section, mm-hmm. um, you could, for me, it really helps kind of, like, figure out the company, believe it or yeah, not. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think both of those, that that's true. And a lot of it is written by 
a lawyer for other lawyers. Right. And that is true. But I think the more you read, the more you just sort of pick up on. Yeah. There are some companies where the company is easy to understand, but the 10K is not written to be easy to understand. Mm-hmm. So like I don't – like I said, I haven't read the Microsoft one recently. But companies like that sometimes have things that – unless you knew what Microsoft or Google or Apple were before you opened it up, yeah. what they say is not actually that clear yeah, about sure. it. Yeah. Like, like literally, they may say things like, we help businesses be more productive. Yeah. Um, when you're really a software company that sells business software, mm-hmm. you know? Or, um, you know, Google might say, we um, organize the world's information or something like that. You know, you're a search engine and you're a video website, you yeah. know? Um, that kind of thing. So there'll be sometimes language that's difficult that way. That's easy. It's always easy to read a 10K if you've already had some experience with the company's product or something yeah you know because then you understand what these words mean and and that's what i usually do i like to and that's why i like to google around to see like okay what do they actually do and that's you get that all from being outside of the filings right yeah and even to put that even more perspective when you're talking about um you know animal wild safaris Mm -hmm. i went and i watched a bunch of youtube videos on the actual safari people like vlogging and going through the process because i was like okay after doing that now i can go back to the 10k yeah and i'm able to almost like picture in my brain kind of pick up on things more because yeah. I could visually see what they're doing, what they're talking about. Yeah. And I should talk a little bit here about how I like take notes on the 10K. So you take notes separately from the 10K, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I take notes directly on the 10K. Yeah. And there's certain like notations that I do over and over again that um, are most useful to me. So I'm mostly writing down calculations and things next to it. Yeah. But the things that I do generally are like I um, underline certain things that I think are important. So the biggest one is underlining. I box any name that I could look up. So a person's name, name of a company, name of a location, anything like that, I box that way. I put stars around anything that I know is a, will be a source of information. So like if they they might say that they are, are – uh, that such and such data they're providing is because of a trade association. So yeah. now I know the industry's trade group that I can go to their website and find out. Mm-hmm. Or they say this market share data is based on um, U.S. government information. Now I know the department of whatever is where I can find information about everyone's share and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing that I do is I put question marks on things that don't seem to uh, – that I don't understand what they're saying or – and then um, exclamation points about things that I think are warning signs. The other one that I do is I just write, hmm, on things where I don't believe what they're saying. Got it. Which is very common. Like, there's just certain things where they say something. I'm like, I don't really think that like that's... Like what? Like, what's an example of that? Um, so th- we compete on the basis of, they'll say, right? And they may list a bunch of things. Sometimes what they... A, a very common one is, like, when they talk about their core competencies and stuff, you know... Um, you know, people are our greatest asset, those sorts of things. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of, hmm, yeah, yeah. because I think about something and I go, but do they really have better technology than what the other company is? Or a lot of times it's like, well, yes, you might be very proud of this, but does your customer actually care about sure, this yeah. or any of those sorts of things? So sometimes there's some stuff, there's some language in there that they're telling you that I think doesn't matter from like a microeconomic perspective. Yeah. I don't think it's really driving customer um, decision-making and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, business, then we went over, I guess, risk factors. I okay. mean, is there yeah. certain things that would stand out to you in the risk factors? Yeah. Factor? So ones that are specific. So most companies are going to list a bunch of risk factors that just don't matter mm-hmm. and aren't specific to the company. Um, yeah, just because it's just it's like kind of boilerplate with it. Yeah. From like so, the industry and stuff like right. that. Right. And, and some of them have been warned not to do this. The SEC, it, they're not supposed to do this, but they keep doing it. For the SEC stuff, you're supposed to include information which is actually, risks that are actually like germane 
pertain to your particular company. Yeah. You're not supposed to put in these wide-ranging risks that um, they do. But for instance, after the financial crisis, every company started including risk of a financial crisis, even in cases where the company doesn't rely on much credit sure. or something. Yeah. It doesn't make much sense. Uh, they've started putting in things about risks of recessions and things like that for companies where it might matter a lot and companies where it didn't. Um, I've seen risks of SARS listed after SARS happened. Yeah. I've seen risks of global warming. Yeah, I saw I've seen global warming. Yeah, I've seen, but to give you an idea, I saw global warming in a uh, movie studio. Uh, what is yeah, the risk yeah, of global yeah, warming? Sure. I mean, SARS, you could say, okay, so if they have some contagious disease thing that they're worried about. No, they throw like an axe of God in there and stuff like right, that. Right, yeah. yeah. sure. But if it was, let's say, let's say instead of a movie studio, you were a movie theater operator yeah. or something, right? If they said, oh, there's a risk of SARS or something, that might matter a lot, especially like say you were a Hong Kong movie theater, right? That would matter a lot because people don't want to be in groups altogether, you know? So businesses that rely on stadiums and concerts and theaters and things, that's a real risk. But putting that in for all sorts of other companies, it shouldn't be in there, yeah. you know? So you look at the ones that are particular to them. And those are often things like a risk is we rely on a small number of suppliers. Mm -hmm. We rely on a small number of um, customers. I was going to say, I mean, a lot of their revenue comes from a select group of customers. Right. Yeah. Um, are, are, um, and you'll find that more common in smaller companies, believe it or not. Yeah. Is you'll see a lot more customer concentration. Right. Which is something to, you know, obviously think about. Yeah. And also things like we're, that if they talk anything about their reliance on certain technologies, patents, things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what about properties? So properties is one of the most important sections, but for most companies, there's nothing interesting in it. So um, properties is going to be uh, things that they own, anything that they own, but also they'll talk about things that they lease and stuff like that. Uh, some companies will give lots of detail on it and some won't. Like NACO gives huge amounts of detail. They break each mine down and everything. There's a whole section about all the mines. Um, some companies don't do that, and so you have to kind of learn more. Like, they won't give you specific addresses and things, but very small companies often will. Mm -hmm. So you have specific addresses you can look up. You can value each of the uh, properties that they own, um, and, and you can also see risks there, too, because things that they lease would mean that they have a high amount of um, rent that they have to cover. Yeah. So it's a very important part of the section of the 10K, yeah. Um, and then legal proceedings? Yeah, so legal proceedings is good for a couple of things. One, you just want to read it just in case. Yeah, sure. Um, most of them are going to say that they are involved in some legal cases that arise from time to time in the normal course of their business. No, there's nothing unusual, you know. But some of the other ones that they'll list will give you some hints more specifically about uh, the business that they're in and it's what sort of things they face. So it can be stuff that's really specific to the business that you kind of assume. So like um, if you look at the 10K for like Domino's or company like that, yeah. they're going to have something listing that, uh, you know, our driver of ours was paralyzed or caused other people to be paralyzed or something. It's a large, we could lose $3 million on this, whatever. So you get the idea they're probably being sued all the time sure. over th something. accidents having to do yeah. with their drivers. You get the idea, well, there's probably a big insurance risk with that and all sorts of other things like, you know, so then you start thinking about that kind of thing. The most interesting ones are usually ones that give you hints of the history of the company. So legal proceedings are like, we're suing our former CEO or our former CEO is suing us. Former board members are suing us. Activist investors are suing us. Um, all sorts of those kinds of things that give you hints about what the company looked like before, what infighting there's been between them, um, any restructuring of it and stuff. Like a lot of those things will hang around for a long time. And this is also good to read past 10Ks just for certain sections like legal proceedings because eventually they'll disappear. Once that's settled or whatever, it won't be in there. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times Googling the cases and the names 
and stuff where the people will give you what happens, tons so, of information yeah. about it. A lot of times legal stuff is the only way that I know about something. I was talking to someone recently who was looking at something where there was receivables and he didn't understand what the receivables were. They looked like there were about two months of receivables for a company that he thought shouldn't have any receivables. So I Googled quickly on it and I found that they were being sued or they had been sued. What'd you Google? Uh, the company's name, receivables. Yeah. And that was about it, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or a, a receivable, like it was, they may have listed, um, uh, anyway, but the company's name and receivables, there may have been some other stuff I Googled with it. And uh, it wasn't on the first page of results, but it was like the next page or whatever. Yeah. And um, there had been a lawsuit from like a class action suit on behalf of investors claiming that the company hadn't disclosed information about a program that they had, a credit program. And so it went into great de detail of what that credit program was and why they had all these receivables. Got it. But you can tell just from the financial statements, he was able, without knowing about that court case, to know this company shouldn't have receivables. And then by looking that up, you can find out that actually someone sued them over the fact that they hadn't they, they hadn't described the program enough about yeah. why they were extending so much credit to their customers mm -hmm. instead of previously they hadn't been at all, you know? So you can see that from just something that's unusual. If you thought the company was being paid in cash right away and you see two months worth of sales there... It should stand out. It stands yeah. out and it stood sure. out to him and then you, with some Googling, you can find a court case on it, yeah. Got it. Um, notes to the financial statements? This is the most important part of the 10K, yeah. right? When you say this is where you spend the most time yep. is reading these notes. Yep. Yeah. So um, there's some... Because I think yeah. it adds context yeah. to the numbers and right. stuff Right. Like so that. we talk about the financial statements. There are these financial statements. The um, You're going to see income statement, balance sheet, cash flows, and you'll probably see either a statement of comprehensive income or yep. a change in uh, shareholders' equity, basically. Mm -hmm. Um the, after those statements, you're going to have notes to them, which are going to describe a bunch of different things. They refer to them as notes as if they're just footnotes to those financial statements, but really they are the financial statements. Yeah. They are the stuff you have to read to be able to understand what's in the statements. Um, especially true if you're like when I'm reading about a company that reports using IFRS instead of GAAP or something like that, um, I may not be as familiar with how they account for receivables, inventory, any of those things. Mm -hmm. But um, the big ones are revenue recognition. Yep. Right. So that's always going to matter. So they're going to tell you when they recognize revenue, how they book it. Yeah. They're going to, so they'll give a description, which will be like um, a common one would be revenue is recognized when title passes to the buyer. Um, which often will be like at the company's, uh, like the factory gate, basically. Yeah. At the moment that it's put on a truck or something leaving, uh, title passes to the a buyer, and at that moment is when they recognize the sale, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of language is normal, you expect to see. But if you see other cases where it's like um, giving you indications that they may be collecting payments before recognizing revenue, that's really important because it means they might have float, float right? Yeah. And the reverse is true when it seems like they're saying something about revenue recognition that worries me. And some usually those are very complicated situations. We talked about a little bit, I think, that I had seen some stuff in GE's financial statements that I didn't like. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what's in there, but basically I was reading a note to the financial statements, and there was a term that they used, uh, I think twice in the entire 10K. And you can do like a search on your computer for it. And I don't normally do that because it just, I don't need to do it normally. But when I read the entire 10K, I was like, they never talk about that again. This is not a term I see other companies using and they don't describe what it means. So I searched like, am I going crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And searched and it's only mentioned twice in the same context and then never described what it means. And I assume- Do you remember what they said? 
it's never described. They don't say what it is. Now, maybe in the no, presentation, you remember like what it was. Like, yes, what? yes, I remember exactly what it is. It's how they're accounting for what I think are long-term service contracts, uh-huh. which are probably on either their. If I remember right, it's either their jet engine stuff or it could also be medical stuff, right? Uh-huh. But what I was concerned with is the exact way they described it. In some ways, it showed up in the statements bothered me because I wasn't sure if it could be used as a way of smoothing earnings out and sure. stuff. Yeah. In terms of like, so we often look at companies. Uh, BWX Technologies or something, they might have something where once they install something, it's very likely they'll do all the maintenance work on it for a long time. But we're not seeing something appear on the balance sheet that's saying like a customer contract for a term of 30 years or whatever. It's just saying um, that the... uh, it's just, you know, you expect them to retain the business, right? Yeah. So the same thing, like, if it was an elevator company or something, I would expect them to maintain the elevator, but I'm not seeing a contract on there that has to do with that. In this case, I was seeing some changes in things, about which were, like, which I think were long-term service contracts is mm-hmm. what it had to do with. And I felt that th- that's okay. You can account for things that way, and companies do. I didn't feel that there was adequate description of what was an unusual term. So, like, if you say inventory receivables or whatever, you don't have to explain it. I understand what I think you mean by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you say LIFO or FIFO, I understand what I think you mean by that. But when we get away from that, I need some more description. Like I talked about a movie studio. Movie studios do a different way of um, accounting for their um, – like box office and stuff, which is very different. Basically, they write off the value of a. Um, they put when when they make a movie, they put the movie on their books at cost, and then they try to match it off against revenue as they collect revenue by guessing how much revenue they're eventually going to have within the first fifteen years of the movie's lifespan, and then matching it off. So, like, they recognize a lot of revenue when they it's in theaters, and then they start to re- recognize less and less revenue when it's um, in a home video and things like that. And they do it based on an internal projection of that to try to match it off, which is a principle of gap to match re- revenue and expenses. That's fine. But you need some description of that in the 10K. If if you've never, uh, if you don't have any description of that kind of thing that I just explained here, then I don't want to see a term that I don't recognize before. And sure. like, gee, it was an example of some stuff that I thought they weren't explaining something well enough that way. Now they may present, they may talk to analysts about it, they may do it in their investor presentations and whatever. All I did was read two 10Ks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But from that, I went. Mm. And my guess when that happens is not necessarily good, bad, whatever. It's that if they did that, they don't want people to understand sure. what it is. Yeah. I mean. Buffett always says if he can't figure something out, he knows it's because the company doesn't want him to know. Yeah, essentially. Have, have you ever seen the thing where they show like where he wrote on the Lehman one? Yeah, where he put what pages it was. Yeah, yeah that's like me. The, what pages I noticed things that were unusual or whatever that I would be concerned about, and you know, so it, you just it's important to understand what they're talking about, mm-hmm. you know? And um, anytime you see unusual terms, you need to know what that means. Sure. And so it can be things like, like if there was a, like they, you'll find someone in the financial statements, they'll say, um, you know, related party receivable or something. I want to then learn what the related party receivable is, you know? And usually it's explained perfectly well. Yeah. But if you never find out what it means, then that's a problem. Sure. Um, what about summary of significant accounting policies? Yeah, that's that's the most important section, basically. So that includes stuff like revenue recognition. It's also going to include description of other things that are important for that company. It'll be different depending on what kind of business it is, what's significant. Sure. Yeah. Um, what about debt? Debt, it will have a description. It's very important if the company has debt. That's where you get all your information about it. Also, leases or rent will also be there for mm-hmm. companies at lease um, in its own section yep. about leasing. Um, and so it'll just give you a description of basically when the debt matures and things like that. 
also literally it'll tell you what bank it's with and uh, interest rates and what fluctuates with and all that sort of stuff but for me the really important thing to know is uh, the maturity dates basically mm -hmm. is this, of that debt. yeah what years is this maturing and there may be a schedule that it says within one year within uh, one to five years you know that sort of thing or even by year uh, when it matures the maturity schedule is what I care the most about um, uh, depreciation depreciation is just seeing how fast or slow they're depreciating things yeah and that's mostly based on experience of knowing what companies in the industry depreciate i was gonna say do you ever look up to see what their competitors are doing yes yeah yeah so the really interesting ones are when they depreciate really slower than i would expect which they're trying to make their earnings look better um or the better situation which i found much more with little companies is sometimes you see they're aggressively depreciating and they're basically using the fastest way to depreciate everything they can which understates their current earnings although and it, it also understates what's in their uh, on, on their balance sheet which may inflate their return on equity in future years but it's basically making it look like they're earning less than they probably are right now and you'll see that in the cash flow statement backing that up but it also just indicates like they're not interested in reporting a lot of earnings that's mm -hmm. always interesting when you get some indication like with the g thing what would concern me there is that kind of makes me feel like they're interested in managing exactly what they report in earnings that yeah. was my initial uh -huh. thought there if a company's aggressively depreciating that makes me feel like management doesn't care what they report in eps like they're not interested in reporting the highest eps number they can they might be interested in paying the least taxes they can or or they might even want shareholders not to see that they're making a lot of money you know mm -hmm. so that's very interesting you want to look at a company that that they're um Earning, they're not focused on reporting the highest possible earnings per charity. Mm -hmm. And then my favorite segment yeah. or section is uh, segment and geography revenue. Yes. Because I like to, this is where you can really break down like the business parts of right. the company. Yeah. And so. And we, value it, you know, independently or however you want to value it. Yeah. yeah. And you talked about it with Parks, it, which is very useful. So Parks America breaks down the results of its Georgia Park and the results of its uh, Missouri Park. Yep. And then also has corporate yeah costs uh and so from that you can tell that the missouri park isn't making any money losing money some years and the uh, georgia park is making a ton of money is actually very successful they also break down assets in that case not that's not always the case sometimes you'll get like the most common one is just revenue breakdown but in some cases they'll even break down assets and stuff so you can do calculations of returns on capital and all that and yeah. so in that case you could tell that the, that's the georgia part. park had really high returns yeah. on equity you could look at it as if it was its own business i love when they break that down and if yeah. they do i always do look at it as if it's a its own business yeah yeah and we talked about that we're like well what if private equity were to buy just this park or whatever yeah. you could see how much value they would put on it versus like the whole company mixed together and obviously if one business is losing money and another's making money or one business is really good and one isn't that's hugely important geography also can work the same way there's lots of companies that make a lot of money in like their home market or whatever and have had trouble in another place so we're going to go back to the beginning okay and as if it's a annual report yeah and uh, what about the annual letter to shareholders okay because so, i always like to read those yes i like to read the letter to shareholders too um there's a lot that a lot of companies don't have them and don't have a lot of detail on them but when you can find them they're very useful um especially if you get any sort of sort of um voice from the ceo that sounds different yeah yeah than just your usual marketing thing because of course a lot of these are going to be written by they hired an investor relations firm to do this and the ceo put their name on the bottom of it basically <laughs> um you know the same way that you know an ad pr that the company is sure. putting on doesn't mean if a, if you see the ceo in an ad he probably didn't write his own copy that he's saying he uh was probably just told to stand in front of the camera and say whatever the agency had agreed on with with their marketing department so same thing here um but sometimes you get specific 
specific and interesting things that they talk about. If you get any sense of the personality of the people, um, especially ones where you have like a, someone who was a founder or who is a major shareholder in the company or something like that, they may feel a little bit more like Warren Buffett does or like Jamie Dimon does, where they feel they can really put themselves out there and just talk as they would normally instead of feeling really bound by, you know, having to have a very uh, standard corporate presentation of it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like we were talking about um, Trinity Bank puts out quarterly uh, letters to shareholders that are very short, right? But are interesting in how um, informative they are about I was going to say, if you really want to learn how a bank works, and I guess especially from the management perspective, but he breaks it down, yeah. I think, which is good. You know, for so if you really want to learn about banking, go read all of his quarterly letters. Yeah, and I think the letter shareholders a lot helps with understanding how the business actually works because unfortunately, the thing that the 10K is really bad at is explaining how the company actually makes money. Like um, a 10K doesn't just come right out and say to you, we don't make any money on our original equipment. We make all our money servicing the original equipment and, you know, or something like that blunt. You can figure that out by looking at it yourself. But like a CEO will, will say that. They'll say our service revenue is so important and we need to grow that ba the installed base and this is how we make all our money. And, you know, um, they'll be very upfront about that. The one you were talking about with the um, banking one, they were very upfront about um, like how the yield curve works for them. Yeah. And it's much more useful than if you're reading a newspaper talking to you about the yield curve and stuff. Here is a bank CEO talking about how it yeah. really matters. Instead of, oh, the, the yield curve has inverted, but he actually yeah. explained how it relates to them. Yeah. 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 And so I think the letter Charles always puts things in great uh, context that way. Um, the other thing is just how optimistic or pessimistic they are and how realistic they are yeah. about like whether they're, you know, I like to, if there are letter shareholders, I like to read every single one that I can get my hands on, especially to see if like in the past they were, you know, the if, more you can learn about a company that's away from its 10 K, yeah. the more you'll kind of just get a good feel for everything. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. You know, because again, like, yes, the financial statements and like 10 Ks are great to learn about you know, what has happened, but to actually like get like a real, a real world, like a version of it, yeah. you know, go watch YouTube videos. Like we've talked about, go look at uh, satellite images of, yeah. you know, the, the business itself, you know, just go kind of get it from like the customer's point of view. And yeah. then I think it helps you figure out the business more, you know? Yeah. And I tell people when they worry about that, they're not getting the 10k, um, then read a report that some other analyst wrote, um, read anything about the company, descriptions of it, whatever, and then go back to the 10K. Yeah. I like to just pick up the 10K without knowing anything and read it. But if you feel like you don't understand it, then get that other secondary source stuff and then go to the 10K or the best way but probably. But I feel like you're able to do that though because you have a framework that right. you've read so many yeah. other 10Ks, so it's a lot easier for you to do that. Yeah. You know? And so for the average person doing this, I would say it's more work. You might want to read the 10K, then learn everything you can after that, and then go back to the 10K and see what you now know better, yeah. having learned about those things, having seen those videos, having looked at those satellite images, having, you know, maybe talked to someone at the company or an analyst or a customer or someone, done some scuttlebutt, and then you return to the 10K, and you'll realize that 10K could have told me a lot more than I knew at the time, but I didn't have, like, the background knowledge I needed. Yeah. No, I think that's good. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself. Um, if you are listening to us on the podcast app, be sure to hit that uh, that thumbs up button mm -hmm. and uh, leave us a rating review. That helps spread the word. Uh, check out Jeff's weekly gazette that goes out. You could sign up for that at focuscompoundinggazette.com. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next podcast. 
Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock right up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.